1: This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride and today joined by Adam Jones, Dave Prentice and Chris Beasley. Recording a day earlier than normal, we just couldn't wait to get around the table and discuss (laughs) a terrific afternoon at Goodison where the Blues thumped. In all they're going to Solskjaer's words, Manchester United 4 0, and deservedly so. It could have been more on a terrific afternoon for all involved. We'll be discussing that. What impressed the panel most about the victory? And in these moments, we like to get their opinions on who was man of the match and get a different answer from each of the guys. Uh, we'll also be discussing Idrissa Guy, uh, Michael Silver, across the weekend saying. His future is out of his control, but reminding him of his importance to Everton. And he reminded everybody at Goodison yesterday how important he is to the Blues with another terrific performance. And of course, we'll be discussing the other standout performer from the game, gilfie Sigurdsson, and discussing what next for him. Um, Preno, before we get into specifics of, of players uh, and, and man of the matches, etc. Generally, what impressed you most about Everton uh, on Sunday?
2: Or where do you want to start? Um, absolutely everything: the attitude, uh, the quality of football, the intensity, the finishing. Um, there's so many things you could you could pluck out, and I won't go down the individual route because there are there loads of players that you could actually you know sort of pluck out. But just the attitude from the start. I mean, clearly a reaction was required after the the complacency that was shown, you know, so a week earlier at Fulham. And it was exactly what was needed. In some respects, maybe United was a good team to face. In this, you know, so you needed a big team and a big challenge uh, to get the requisite reaction from the players out there. But that was great, and the atmosphere as well. You know, shouldn't really underestimate, you know, sort of how good Goodison has been over the last few months. Is it just, you know, coincidence to say that it uh, coincides with the siren? Because I love hearing that. It just, it creates a sense of anticipation, you know, so, and you can see in the tunnel, you know, so the, the players thinking, whoa, whoa, you know, what's going on here? And, you know, whether that will fade in time, I don't know. Uh, but that certainly contributed as well, uh, you know, so good as so rocking from the very, very start. So there's a number of things, but I think, you know, so bottom line, the attitude that, you know, that everybody showed, you know, so on the pitch and around the other pitch in terms of the fans as well, from the word go.
1: Adam, pronounces attitude was the thing that impressed
0: him most. Uh, What about you? Uh, I think the way Everton
2: went forward and
0: attacked Manchester United has been picked up on a lot, but I think I'd like to pick up on how defensively solid Everton were and how hard they worked whenever Man United had the ball. I mean, I know personally I was looking at the uh, lineups when the teams were announced, and I was a bit scared of United's front three. To be honest, uh, Martial always seems to turn it on against Everton. Uh, he especially run rings around Seamus Coleman at Old Trafford earlier this season, so I was a bit concerned about them two getting matched up again. Uh, we all know how good Marcus Rashford is on his day. You know, and he very nearly scored in the opening minute against Barcelona. You know, he's got electric pace uh, and absolutely. It's such a powerful shot on him yeah. as well, like it. And it, we all know what Romelu Lukaku can do on his day as well. So I was a bit concerned about them three coming up against you know that an Everton defence that struggled to contain the likes of Mitrovic and Ryan Babel mm-hmm. only a week before. But you know they, they just these players just stood up and they absolutely put all of their effort into it. And you know it took eighty six minutes for Manchester United to have a shot on target. And that was down to the work of not just the back four, but everybody in the squad, like defending from the front, Front, uh, Calvert-Lewin and Sigurdsson doing their utmost to make sure that United's defenders couldn't play out from the back. And then Idrissa Guy and Morgan Schneiderlin, especially, I think, coming into the uh, coming into the side after having such a long time off, he just slotted straight back in and made sure that Paul Pogba just didn't have any space to move at all. So I think, yeah, the defensively, Everton was so good completely deserved that clean sheet and you know that's games against Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea and Manchester United at home now not a goal conceded and I think that is massive credit down to all those players and to Silver as well
1: Bees so we've had attitude and defensive solidity Mm. and and hard work is there anything different that maybe that you sort of Came away from having watched that game thinking that you were really struck by generally? Yeah,
3: definitely. The speed of thought, huh? really, okay. from the Everton players. They, they were so quickly onto everything, not just like, as Adam says, when United had the ball swarming around them like bees almost two or three at a time, sometimes eager to get that ball back. But um, the, the passing movement as well, some some lovely sequences played, really sort of carved United up, not not just the, the, the goals that they did score, there were, there were plenty of other moments as well where they were just swarming... From Forward and it just seemed at it. I know that the narrative quite inevitably nationally will be mm. United's shortcomings, and it's, it's very unfair that on Everton. I think Everton were on it from the from the first minute, and that, that, that the players were all up for it, and they 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 weren't just determined; they were playing really good football. And I think that's something we need to emphasise.
1: Interesting point, Brian. Mean, a bee's brings up and and, and, and it has been a theme of, of of yesterday evening, hasn't it? And, and that the narrative outside of Merseyside has obviously been about the, the tale of woe that is united and their demise and their problems yet obviously the real narrative for us of course is, is how well Everton played should, should we ignore the idea And you know we know how well Everton played and Nevertonians know how well we played on the day or, or do you think that you know from time to time we do need to see that kind of Acclaim and that praise from a wider
2: audience. It's it's difficult to ignore it because it's um, it's the national media at large which projects this uh, this mindset. I mean, you two are fortunate enough to be actually inside the stadium yesterday. I was watching it on on television, and I was getting angry, I was getting irritated at some of the things I was hearing. I could see how well Everton were playing, and yet I was hearing uh, the commentator saying, "If Everton can hold on to this win and claim another big six scalp." very early in the game. And I'm thinking, hang on, hold on to this win. Everton are absolutely carving United apart here. And another big six scalp. This is a football club that's won nine league titles. That's won five FA Cups. Uh, you know, used to be one of the, the the big four when the Premier League was created. Yeah, granted, over the last, you know, sort of 20 years, Everton's stock has, you know, has fallen in that time. But, you know, under Farhad Mashiri, you know, they are being very, very ambitious again. And I think it's just a bit mealy minded to talk about it in that fashion. And then, as ever, you know, so the, pond, the punditry panel, you know, so on national television is almost exclusively dominated by, you know, so Liverpool former Liverpool players and so you have the absolutely absurd situation of Graham Souness trying to claim that the first goal should have been ruled out (laughs) because it was dangerous play and uh, and quite rightly being like sort of laughed down so you know it's difficult to ignore Um, you know so that is a narrative that's driven you know so by the television companies by sort of the national media and at the weekend that's because Manchester United are one of the biggest clubs in the world you know so we can't hide from that um, despite how poorly they've played this season and so that was always likely to be the case but I think you know so professional journalists should give a more balanced view and should look at both sides of the story and you know you did yourself you you know, wrote that Manchester United were poor but then also gave you know, Everton the credit that they deserved and I think you know, so some of the national media guys didn't do that they just reflected totally and wholly on how poor United have been when they should have looked at the fact that hang on Everton have beaten Arsenal comfortably Everton have beaten Chelsea Everton have held Liverpool and finished the game the stronger and have now battered Manchester United therefore this is a football club moving in the right direction mm. and that, that wasn't there I think the one that stuck out to me was Gary Neville after oh, after was the game he, he he went on his
0: like a two, three minute rant about yeah. how bad Manchester United were. And obviously, you know, ex Manchester United captain, you can expect him to focus on United that little bit more. But there was that one section where he said, Oh, United ran four kilometres less in the first half than Everton. Everton. And he said it like yeah. that and it was just so disrespectful to Everton and it's just he didn't need to do that. And it's it's like me and Phil said yesterday, like this wasn't a one-off, really, from Everton. Everton could have done this to Chelsea. Everton could have done this to Arsenal. Should have done it to
1: Arsenal, Should yes. have
0: done it to Arsenal. Just weren't clinical enough in front of goal. This wasn't really a surprise to the Everton fans who were inside the stadium. Mm. They were delighted to see it. But, you know, we have seen this over the last few weeks. You know, it, it, it just seems that the national media just isn't getting on to the fact yet that Everton are just playing some really nice football at some Park well, these days.
1: Maybe. Is there an argument, Bees, long, long may that continue? Because you know certainly under the sort of the peak Moyes, mm-hmm. we were always seen as the underdog and it worked in our favor and i'm sure Moyes would use that as a as a motivational tactic you know, in the like siege mentality yeah. let's let's you know let's batten down the hatches and let's prove everybody wrong maybe marco might be happy with that yeah but um so
3: I think yeah they do need a bit more steeliness in them and if that's what brings it out then um, I'd, be all, I'd be all for that yeah I'd just like to see that bit more consistency this has come just a, a weekend after the abjects 2-0 defeat of course, at Fulham yeah. and we can't move on from that there's still a great degree of inconsistency in Everton's play yes they've got this increasingly impressive um, scalp uh, list of scalps at Goodison Park, but they need to be doing it week in, week out. But yeah, if, if that's if that's what it takes to to get the players together to to be more um, determined and put in those um, hardened performances, and I mean, yeah, there's, no, there's there's no problem with that because there is a golfing class between the top six, the big six, whatever you want to call them. They are the leading six clubs in the division and the rest of the division. I mean, Everton are now back in that position as best of the rest as as it stands this morning, but um, there's, still a, there's still a huge um, points gap between them and United, although they were obviously a much better side on the day.
1: Well, of course, you know. Look at and the, and the proof will be in the long term pudding. But obviously, you know, and there is no no harsher critic than an Evertonian about about the Blues. But do you think do you sense that maybe feeding into that kind of um, lack of, of of sort of acclaim and plaud is is a perception that as a club now we've we've discovered the um, benefactor, if you like, you know, somebody to help bankroll um, the club and spend money that we didn't have previously, but because we have wasted money. Do you think almost that people, uh, again beyond the walls of, of the city, just see this as another another false dawn? or Everton! Or it won't happen again. You know. You know they don't believe that. That you know a team playing well, it'll be sustained because, you know, they've had money and and etc, etc, and it's not worked out. Is is that another sort of something that feeds into it perhaps?
2: That that could be the case, yeah. They need, you know, some more sustainable evidence that this is going to be, you know, sort of a long-term project and clearly, you know, the the, the building blocks are in place, you know, that we've seen, you know, the appointment of a, a director of football that, you know, has a a long-term strategy and philosophy, which he's already started to implement. A manager who wants the club to play in a particular style of play uh, and is starting to, to achieve that. And, you know, what I'd mentioned before, what people you know, are losing sight of is, just, you know, so how things have turned around, you know, defensively at Everton. I think the first 14 games of the season, there were three clean sheets, uh, whereas that's now, let me challenge me maths, six mm. in the last eight, is it? It's, you mm-hmm. know, it, it's quite significant, yeah. uh, you know, so how things have turned around. Um, And, you know, it it takes sometimes, you know, sort of one national media journalist to write and it suddenly becomes a flavour of the month then and people start picking up on, actually, yes, something does appear to be happening there. And, you know, it's no big deal if uh, Everton do fly under the radar for a little while longer. Um, I think possibly if they do manage to see it through, finish seven, City do win the FA Cup and qualify for Europe. Maybe that could be, you know, the time to, uh, you know, start celebrating, you know, what is happening at Everton. Maybe it will just take, you know, sort of a bit more evidence of, you know, longer term results happening. we'll have to wait and see, but for the time being, let's just enjoy it ourselves because it, it, it's been great to watch, and you know, long may it continue.
1: Absolutely. Okay, uh, now is the time where each of the panel have to pick a different man of the match, which in these circumstances can be. <laughs> Troublesome, to say the least. Adam, you get the uh, advantage of going first. Uh, well, it, who was your man of the match it's yesterday? It's going to be easy
0: this week, isn't it? Idrissa Guy okay. is, uh, is my man of the match because uh, I think it goes without saying these days how good he is defensively. We know how hard he works off the ball. We know how good he is at you know tackling, intercepting. And he showed that off perfectly yesterday. But I think his work on the ball yesterday was the best I've ever seen him produce. He it was... Uh, the build-up to the second goal, you know, his little his little interchange with Bernard, just when it looked like he was just going to oof the ball off that Some little disc
1: as well in the, on the uh, yeah. on the record books,
0: isn't mm. it? Not many of them down the years, I, I wouldn't say. But yeah, his little link-up play with Bernard there was really good. You know, turned defence into attack pre- perfectly for Everton there. And there was one moment in the uh, in the second half as well where he did a disguised pass again to Sigurdsson, and he just cut out. Manchester United's entire midfield and you know don't like. I don't think we've seen that enough really down the years from Guy and I don't think we gave him the credit and thought that was really possible but I think Silver is you know he's believed in him in that sense he's given him a lot more attack and freedom especially when he's played alongside Schneiderlin over the last few weeks uh, Schneiderlin sits in and uh, it allows Guy to express himself a little bit more going forward and I think you know we've talked about his attitude a lot since the January transfer window. And I think he's just been absolutely exemplary and, you know, that, uh, yesterday's performance was the culmination of that. And i had- I'd argue that's the best I've ever seen him playing in an Everton Shirt absolutely
1: OK we will come back to Guy and speak more about uh, the Senegalese midfielder Bees um, mm-hmm. you can't have guys. you your man of the match I'm yeah. afraid uh, that's been taken yeah. so who's your uh, <laughs> I will select
3: yeah. Gylfi Sigurdsson yeah. then
2: Yeah. Frenel
3: Frenel Frenel dropped.
1: <laughs> got me to keep
2: talking for a while um, no no there's, yeah. could, there's four yeah. of us yeah. Yeah. we could go around the table yeah. and have a different man yeah. each time um, and no one would raise yeah. eyebrows
3: um, That. That goal. I've, I've actually heard some people criticising David de Gea for that goal. I thought it was ridiculous. Said he, he should have got to it. Um, very few footballers can strike a ball from distance in the way that that Gylfi can. And um, as, as soon as he hit that, I mean, you could you could tell it was it was going in, and it wasn't just that. Just it's all round display. We, we know he is a he's, a he's a good goal scorer, certainly this season, but. Um, being involved a lot more that's what, what we like to see and that's what we had yesterday but even um, that one off, off the line um,
2: the, with, corner, the corner almost
3: yeah. went in directly yeah I mean that was, that was amazing and um, it, it shows you why you should I, in my book have somebody on the line the fact that they, they had to scramble and kick that off the line yeah they, it was it was the guilty that we know um, he, the sort of performance he can produce and he's on it against a good team he's actually got a great record against mm. Manchester United and uh, yeah he was he was oozing class and that's that's the, the, the reason that Everton paid all that money for him that, that one of those displays against of the top team so yeah I'll go for
1: Gilfie the performance of the club record signing indeed yeah Preno, you can't have Idrissa, you can't have Sigurdsson who was your man of the match
2: like i say you could go through the, yeah. the team probably and pick out you know six or seven players and you know nobody would raise an eyebrow really cuz the quality of performances were that good The next obvious one, really, I suppose, is Bernard, who uh, has just really, you know, started to find the pace and the intensity of the Premier League to his liking. Um, His feet, you know, and his vision are are so quick, you know, so all the way through the game. But it's also the physicality that he's showing now, Uh, you know, which for a guy who stands five foot five is is difficult to do. But, you know, he does. He actually has this core strength uh, and, and he will not be bullied. Um, I just thought his all-round, you know, sort of link-up play was absolutely top class. And I just love, you know, the little holes that he finds, uh, you know, to thread balls through. Um, you know, certainly wouldn't argue with Gay or some both absolutely outstanding on the day. And the ones that really caught my eye. But, you know, Bernard, he's just really finding a real rich vein of form now. And also great that he saw the game out as well. You know, so another 90 minutes, you know, he's not like beginning to dip towards the end of games. So, a top class performance, you know, so sort of from start to finish. So, yeah, I would, I would give it to Bernard.
1: In, in my stuff yesterday, I wrote, and it got a little bit of debate um, online, that Bernard, from from the start of the season, I think he's made the most improvement to any Everton player. I think there's, there's a case for Calvert Lewin, obviously, in that. And some people mentioned Michael Keane. <clears throat> do you. Do you Think that Bernard's made the biggest strides from where it's he was, or
2: they're d- difficult ones to say because he, he sparkled so much to, to begin with when we first saw him. You know, that little jink down the left and then waited patiently for the run inside him and then just rolled the ball very, very gently across. I mean, he come on as a substituted, I can't remember who it was against, Fulham, 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 yeah. yeah. And you just thought, why wow, we've got a player here. And then his performance at Leicester, you know, so again, was, was great, but then he appeared to have like just a little dip, you know, so where he was finding, you know, the, the physicality. The intensity of the Premier League, and you know, he's come back and actually, you know, absolutely flying now. So I would argue that you know, probably Calvert Lewin has improved the most, and you know, if you were to go round again, I probably would have you know, so sort of picked Calvert Lewin second time round because. There were Just a couple of moments during the game, um, you know, when he might have taken the ball more sweetly into his stride, that would have then given him a, an opportunity on goal. But that apart, his hold-up play was absolutely top class. You know, so holding the ball, you know, bringing other people into play, and just again bullying, you know, sort of top-class defenders. He seems
1: to have perfected the knack of the jumping chess control. Which no weak yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, no feet.
2: It does. He's, he, he, We've mentioned many, many times about the similarities with Graeme Sharp, not just in terms of the way he plays the game, but being a bit of a slow developer as well, and you know getting into his, his prime years when he was twenty-two, twenty-three, and that was a Graeme Sharp trait that Andy Gray actually you know coached into him, leaping early uh, to try and you know sort of disconcert the centre half and either flicking the ball on or you know sort of chesting it back down again, and he does that so well, and uh, it was quite interesting this morning um, being sport on there. Analysis of the game. Tim Cahill was asked, um, you know, so which player that you think should Everton should target this summer. To try and you know sort of build on what they've got, and he identified Diego Costa, uh, at Atletico Madrid, to be met with much you know some sort of mocking from people who were on the panel with him, and the fact that he's 30 as well, it's probably not a realistic target for Everton to be looking at. But on Talksport, you know, he who shall not be named, uh, you know, the former manager of Everton Football Club, was also asked about this, and he surprisingly talked about Calvert Lewin as uh, being a guy that's improved massively this season and should be given the opportunity next season to prove that he can add goals because it's the only thing lacking at the moment, you know, goals to his game, maybe save Everton an absolute fortune in the transfer market, but prove that he can be the centre forward that can take Everton forward. Possibly, possibly he could become that player, uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, his improvements, I think, has been even more so than Bernard's this season.
1: There was a point just at the start of this run, if you like, when I think I asked Marco whether, I asked him, for, you know, to talk talk about Loon and he basically said he's got an opportunity to to prove that he can be, very important for us going forward. He says he always be important. He always will be an important yeah. player. But very important. And and you know, the the inference was you can be my proper number nine yeah. next season. Do you think he's grasping that chance?
2: A hundred percent, he is. I mean, um, like I say, his hold-up play has been absolutely top class. His pace gets him into positions and stretches defences. The only thing missing are goals at the moment. You know, you if you're going to be a centre forward, you've got to score goals. You've got to get 15, 20 a season. But how, but yeah. how much does that matter if,
1: if he's doing the work and the hold-up play that means well, everybody I else th- th- I think
0: yesterday you saw his work rate opening up so many opportunities yeah. for... The other players around him, and I think that's what makes him so vital, like to Everton's front four, as I think you've really got to call it now. Yeah. He saw it in the first goal, like, granted, it came off his shoulder in the end, but he got the flick on mm-hmm. to to Richarlison. Uh, it was him who made the run across, which opened up the space for Sigurdsson to have that shot for the second goal. Like he just he just gave those United defenders so much work to do that they forgot about the rest of the front three, essentially. Yeah. Like he was, so, he was so good in that respect. And, you know, you, you were saying that he, you know, he could have took a few things in his stride a little bit better to create chances for himself. But I can't really remember him having a chance to score, really, no, didn't. for himself. So, you know, it, like, I, I do understand the criticism that he should be adding more goals to his game. But for games like that, He he didn't have a chance to score, so you can understand how he hasn't scored in that kind of uh, match.
2: As long as other players in that front three are scoring regularly, you know, Richarlison, if he's scoring regularly, if Sigurdsson's scoring regularly, if Bernard can add a few more goals, you know, sort of his game, Mm -hmm. maybe it isn't quite such an issue. But it will always be, you know, the responsibility of the centre forward to score goals. And I think that's, you know, if he was scoring every second or third game, I think he would be nailed on, you know, Mm sort of to start next season.
3: He's a player you want to do well and want to see develop as well because, you know, we, we've all spoken to him around this table and he's, he's such a nice guy and he, can't, he just can't be a charity <laughs> for nice guys. But, you know, you can see that determination, you know, he's, he's come from humble stocking that, you know, he had to come up the hard way, play, go out on non-league, as we all know, as a young player. And he wasn't even a regular at Sheffield United. Whenever he also first was a midfielder. <laughs> mm. Yeah, So to have developed a new position yeah. as well. So it shows you how he's come on and how determined he is. And you really hope that he does well. And I think that's what Marcel Brands and Marco Silva want to see. There is an opportunity here. I mean, they could spend big money on somebody who was the finished product, but they want to just see how, how far they can get with this one. And, you know, it could pay off in the long term. So you, you hope it does. The Royal Blue
1: Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Uh, moving on now to a player who uh, had got one of the lads' picks for Man of Match, uh, Idrissa Guy. Um, as we said at the top of the podcast, Michael Silver over the weekend saying he cannot control his future, but reminded him of how important he is uh, to the team. Preno, it may be a little bit of a crude comparison, but yesterday um, on the opposite side of the pitch in his very position was a player called Fred who cost Manchester United £52 million pounds last <laughs> summer. So based on a comparison yesterday, if anybody comes knocking on the door in the summer, Paris Saint-Germain or whoever, what's the asking price now? Um,
2: well, you just say it's a crude comparison. The <laughs> age, I think, you know, the fact that he's, is he 30 now? 29, he, 13
1: September. Yeah, get, going on 26.
2: Possibly, you know, sort of lessens his value to a degree. But on current form, you know, you, you can't be looking at, you know, less than 30, 35 million because, you know, he's absolutely flying at the moment. And what's so much in his favour is his attitude, you know, to being told that, you know, you can't have this dream move that you want to go, you know, to PSG. It's been absolutely exemplary. He's played even better since he was denied that move. Uh, than he has you know before sort of beforehand if you remember we sat round this table and we were talking probably in January about the possibility of him going and at the time and I hold my hand up here because I was one of them saying well I'm not that bothered to be perfectly yep. honest you know because yeah he's okay he's decent you know but you know, so he's replaceable, you know, so Gomez is the one we want to keep and, you know, so we need to get a proper, you know, to hold him midfielder in. I'm beginning to change my tune a little bit because he has been so good, you know, sort of since then. Um, his quality on the ball was something that was always, it was always a stick he used to beat him with, you know, so his passing isn't the best level imaginable. You know, he's not as good as Kante is, you know, so with the ball at his feet, but he's improved so he has actually changed that aspect of his game and I mean it's sods law I tweeted you on the game on a Sunday just you know how good has he been and then probably his only misplaced passes of the afternoon quickly followed but they were the exceptions that proved the rule his passing has been absolutely top class you know certainly for the last few months and I suggest that you know that kind of player is in there, you know, so he is capable of, you know, so bringing that into his game, whatever's happening on the training pitches, at, you know, Finch Farm. I was going to say,
1: does, does he, you know, in his decision, look, it's clear that he has this dream of a move to, as he calls it, a top club in Europe. And yeah. Obviously that means playing in the Champions League, but, but, you know, has he got to also factor in the improvements he's made this season, and particularly in the last three or four months? And you've got to think, well, Maybe I'm with the, with the right manager. Maybe I've I've got a coach who's actually bringing me on more than I could have ever imagined.
0: With it, with him though, he's probably going to be concerned about his short term career. Absolutely, yeah. Because like as Preno mentions, because of his age, he's I'd say he's probably now hitting the peak of his career. Mm-hmm. He's going to want to think, right? If I get into the Champions League now, then this has got this has got to be perfect for me. Like I think it'll take some convincing from Marco Silver and Marcel Brands to say to him, "Look, we can be in Europe in the next couple of years. Like if you just stick around, and you know, he, he, I don't think there's any doubt in Guy's mind that he, he is improving at the minute. But at the same time, like looking at it from his perspective, if if there is somebody like PSG coming again, or like even Manchester United, as uh, the latest rumours have suggested, then he's gonna be he's got to be looking at that and he's thinking, well. In the Champions League now, they're going to be going for trophies now. I can't guarantee that I'm going to be the same player in another two years. Let's say if I if I want to get myself the most exposure at the top level of the game, I need to do this now. So it it is a bit concerning that he's like you know his future is still undecided because, as Preno says, he, he has since January he's proven to himself to be vital to Everton at the minute.
1: Bees, is there any merit in? trying to convince um, Idrissa to stay in offer him a new contract. And obviously by that, we, we, we mean improved wages. And, and, you know, is that something that the club need to do? Or does that go against the grain of, of, of what Marcel, you know, remember last summer talked about? Does yeah. that go against the whole philosophy? And Yeah, I suppose it all
3: depends what happens if, if there's no guarantee that Paris Saint-Germain and the like will come back. Was it seen as a one-time thing in January? They wanted it at that time. So if if he's happy to stay put and nobody comes in, no. Yeah, but I think it, if they do come in, I would imagine that he, he would go because I can understand it's all about the timing of things, as it's already been said. This is a player who's probably in his last big chance to get a move to a Champions League club, almost 30 years of age, would ever be better off financially Plowing that money into a younger player, and it'd be best for all parties that you know he gets his big move and ever and get a chance to develop a, a, a younger player. I can see the merit if Adrissa if Gay's happy to to stay and see out his years, and yeah, hand him the, the the big new contract. But I just imagine that it, it will depend on whether if, if the offers do come. Then I imagine it'd be sold. If, if they don't come, then yeah, he'd be happy to stay put. Mm.
1: Interesting. Um, another player who was also picked up by the lads as Man of the Match, uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson. Um, prado do you think we should have seen more of those type of performances from Gilfie over the course of the two seasons?
2: I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a big fan and I, I get a bit grumpy sometimes with the other people that, you know, so sort of don't give him the credit he deserves. I think because of his... Slightly languid style, you know, he's, he's not the paciest player, and so that sometimes makes it look like, you know, he's, he's maybe not doing enough. His work rate and the ground that he covers is always like right up there, you know, so in terms of the, the the top hardest working performers at the club. And when you contrast that to the quality he clearly has, um, I think we've been seeing that, you know, so pretty much from the word go, we just didn't know quite what kind of player he was when he first arrived. Um, you think of the number of goals this season that have been created by. His involvements in or around, you know, just his timing of pass is just so good. I mean, that, you know, the goal he created for Walcott uh, at the weekend was almost, you know, like... Some- Typical, you know, he just killed the ball instantly, oh, and just, uh, yeah. he did, and just like you know, so timed the pass so well, and he even managed to overcome a dreadful Theo Walker first <laughs> touch uh, to, <laughs> to, to go on and finally finish him. And we've seen it a few times. I think the Richarlison goal earlier this season that should against Brighton was it that really should be up there for one of the goals of the season. And it was just you know from a sweeping move from one end of the pitch to the other that again just the timing of the pass was just absolutely immaculate, and he does have absolute quality. His dead ball delivery, you know, it's no coincidence that Everton are. What is what the phrase created the most goal-scoring chances from set pieces than any other team in the Premier League this season? A lot of that is down to the quality of delivery from you know the, the set pieces that he takes. Um, I mean, I'm just a big fan, big fan, and uh, it really annoyed me again that you know people were trying to pick holes in David De Gea. You know, so for allowing that shot to to go past him. It was a great finish. You know, so he, he picked this spot, he drove it well. Um, yeah, it went down fractionally slowly, maybe. And if you're going to be ultra critical, <laughs> say fractionally ultra, slowly. Like if, you're going to be, if you're going to be ultra critical, you know. So you point the finger. I said, but I wouldn't. I give the credit to the, the player who struck the ball. Mm. Know, so rather than blaming the goalkeeper, mm-hmm. and I just thought it, it, it was a, a great performance. And we've, he's had a very, very good season. Um, his all-round performances are being good, and you know, so I, I think we're seeing the kind of player that justifies the transfer fee that, that was paid for him. Uh, last season, what we tend to overlook as well is that he was played on the left so often, you know, and he's not a left-sided player, you know, he's a number ten, you know, so he plays best in that role, and you know he's absolutely flourishing. It's, it's no coincidence that he's being played in that role consistently throughout the whole of the season, and as a result, we're seeing his best performances. I think we've 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 debated many
1: times, certainly earlier on in this in the season on this podcast about Sigurdsson's position. And I know, Gav question whether he was actually almost a bit of a problem for Silver, But again, mm. credit to the manager, because he seems to have found a way to finally bring out the best mm. in Sigurdsson. And, you know, as, as Preno alludes to, you know, the manager that signed him didn't always play him in his best position. Mm. Allardy certainly didn't always play him in his best position, mm. but Silver has stuck to his guns, hasn't he? And, and mm. been determined for Sigurdsson to play where he always was convinced would be. Be, uh, bring the biggest yield
0: yeah I think I think Silva's shown a lot of faith in Sigurdsson in that sense because I'd, I would say there have been times this season where Sigurdsson has looked a little bit questionable uh, most recently probably that Fulham game mm. like I think everyone looked questionable in that Fulham game but you know we just didn't create enough chances as their ball delivery in that game wasn't necessarily special but he's now he's now uh, juxtaposing that with some absolutely incredible performances like the one yesterday against Arsenal, and uh, I think those good performances are massively outweighing any sort of bad performances now. And I think a lot of it over the last few weeks is how well he's paired up with Calvert-Lewin. They like I almost see them as a front two rather than anything else now. Especially when Everton are out of possession, like Sigurdsson comes up alongside Calvert-Lewin and they attack defenders as they're trying to play out from the back. And I think you know the way the way them two have got such harmony together, and then obviously with Richarlison and Bernard coming in off the wings as well they just seem to know where each other are on the pitch at all times I think Bernard like in, in particular is showing that he just seems to have an incredible awareness of where everybody is on the pitch but it's as as Prenod said there like Sigurdsson's little nonchalant pass through to Walcott he makes he makes stuff like that look so easy mm. so I think all credit to him for stepping up his performances and I think all credit to Silver for actually trusting him to be able to put in those kinds of displays in that number 10 role as well just keep him away from panels use. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs>
1: um, he also a bit like guy he turns well, very much like guy he turns 30 in the same month in September yeah. and B's, and we spoke about guy and, and him coming into his peak years do you think this summer has to be an opportunity for the club to buy a young younger long-term to mid-term replacement for Sigurdsson almost I mean, because who's, who's where's his competition at the minute? And, you know, obviously yeah. he's absolutely nailed on to start, isn't he, on yeah. current form? But just thinking about that long term in the yeah. summer. And,
3: yeah, you know. I'd imagine you'd think within the um, existing squad, the nearest you'd have is Kieran Dowell, who's been out on loan again, hasn't he? So. Um, <clears throat> I certainly wouldn't think you, you need direct competition in that. I know Silver wants to have two quality options means, in every yeah. in every position, but the way Guilfie's playing, it, it whoever would be the understudy wouldn't be getting much of a a look in yeah, they're But they're both turning thirty, but perhaps age a little bit less of a, mm. a barrier to what. Just a get such an all action in your face. Um, Mid- midfield ratter as it were when you know we all know what his game's all about whereas like we said Sigurdsson yeah. he does cover a lot of um, distance during matches it is less the, the physical exertion and more of the, the placing of the passes which you won't obviously lo- yes. lose with age so I don't think it. it's immediate it is a tough one because yeah like we said Silver does want to have two quality options and all the teams do in, in those positions but I would say that there, there are other prior priorities up yeah. there and hopefully Guilfi can continue to play most of the time. It may depend on um, whether ultimately they get that Europa League football or not. Mm. Just um, Are Everton going to be playing 40-odd fixtures next season or possibly 50-odd fixtures next season? So maybe it depends on whether they get into Europe, but you'd like to think Guilfi can continue to play most of the minutes, certainly for, for, for another couple of years
1: indeed uh, final part of the podcast before we uh sign off for today um I believe it was mentioned at, at the top of uh, top of the recording um a word for the atmosphere again yesterday because it's now been a succession of home games where the atmosphere has been excellent um and you you could have understood to an extent on the back of a really kind of apathetic performance at Fulham if you know sections of Goodison had, had had not felt the necessary kind of inspiration to have have, have got behind the team as, as vociferously as they had done on Sunday. But I mean superb again and and, and the build up as you mentioned with the sirens before the game. And it was they were terrific again, I thought.
2: Hundred percent. I think we've been Quite fortunate to a degree in that this, um, this you know run of great atmospheres kicked off with the derby, uh, you know the Goodison derby, and it was always going to be noisy for that day, and obviously that was the first time that we heard the siren used. But you know it, it did, it generated an atmosphere, and then. What What's happened since then, it's always the argument, do the fans inspire the players or do the players inspire the fans? Which way around should it be? And no one knows the answer. No, mm-hmm. no one's ever quite you know, sure which way it should be. But it seems to have been symbiotic almost. It's like it's coincided with some decent performances as well. So it's easy for the fans to get enthusiastic about what they're seeing and equally easy for the players to then feed off him. And again, to give Calvert-Lewin a little nod here, I was quite impressed by something he said after the Arsenal game, when uh, midway through the first half, Everson were already leading 1-0 and he closed down the goalkeeper, you know, sort of chased it down and there was a big roar, you know, from the crowd. And he mentioned it afterwards in his post-match interview where he said, we know that kind of thing gets the crowd going and gets the atmosphere going. So, you know, that's why I did it, basically. So, you know... There's a bit of intelligence at work there as well. You know, so the the, the players are understanding, you know, so what helps generate that atmosphere. So we're seeing it all fit into place at the right time. You know, the players are performing, the fans are responding to it, and it just develops momentum then, which means that, you know, the, the atmospheres are great. Now... Clearly, there's a difficult away game to come this weekend, and hopefully, you know, so the performances are going to continue. We're not going to see a fallen type situation, because then, you know, the final home game is a Friday night, uh, which is you know a bit of a weird one. But you'd imagine the atmosphere would be good for that, you know, final home game of the season, Friday night. Uh, a a team that you'd expect uh, I know yeah you'd expect Everton to do well against so you know it should be another you know sort of vibrant atmosphere so a number of elements are all falling into place at the right time and uh, it's great you know it's a good place to be at the moment you know so fans are enjoying going to matches and you know to those media pundits that asked what do Evertonians want this is what we want we want to go to a noisy (laughs) vibrant atmosphere and see good quality football certainly had uh, Romelu Lukaku uh, rattled yesterday (laughs) the uh, Everton
3: atmosphere Yeah. yeah <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: Adam, I think Marco had said after the derby, um, if the fans and the atmosphere can be even seventy percent of what it was against Liverpool, then that gives uh, that helps the team forty percent of the jobs done. I think that's mm. the percentages he was using. You know, yeah. slightly convoluted mm-hmm. way of, of of making his point, but that feels like it's played out.
0: I th- I feel like it's gone above and beyond that. I I'd argue that yesterday's atmosphere was the best I've heard all season, like especially when the teams were coming out, the noise that greeted the teams. Uh like even like when the siren was on, like the, the noise that 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 generated was just absolutely incredible and I'm a big fan of, you know, all the flags and banners that are in the Gladys Street now. It just it ju- it ju- it does just make you feel happier to be in Goodison Park, doesn't it? And credit to, I think it's that group, the Originals, isn't it, who are creating that sort of thing in the Gladys Street. And, you know, hopefully that will continue on into next season because I think that has made a major improvement because, you know, it it, has Preno said, like we don't really know whether it's the players who inspire the fans or the fans who inspire the players. I think essentially it's just a two-way street and, you know, the fans setting out their stall very early like, you know, with that kind of wall of noise, you know, that, that gets the players up for it. You know, the players have been saying that for weeks, you know. They, they, they love hearing, like, the fans when they're waiting in the tunnel and they just want to go out, get out there and perform for them. And when they're doing that, you know, the fans are getting up for it more. And it's, it, it's just been absolutely amazing. And I think the Burnley game will be an interesting one because it'll be the first time since the derby that it's coming against, you know, not one of these big six teams, you know. It's a game that we're probably expected to win. So it will be interesting to see how the players react to that as well. I think the fans will absolutely be up for it, as Preno says. You know, with it being a Friday night, but you know, after what happened against Fulham last last week, you know, the players can't allow themselves to get complacent again, even if this is a game at home this time. You know, they need to be as up for it as they are for the you know these games against United, Arsenal, Chelsea. So yeah, the next game will be really interesting. But fingers crossed that this will continue and hopefully even improve further in the future.
1: Amen to that. Uh, Thank you very much, chaps. That's where we will conclude today's podcast, the first of two podcasts this week, and we will reconvene around the table later in the week to preview the trip to Crystal Palace. So uh, thank you for your company. Thank you for listening. You have been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.